Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, prophecy expert Ed Heinsen is here to explain why Israel is at the center of God's prophetic plan for the future. And we'll take a look at some headlines from the end times. As conflicts in the Middle East grow in intensity, we can't help but wonder what lies ahead for the nation of Israel and whether any of it means we're drawing closer to the last days. Ed Heinzen looks into scripture to bring clarity and show God's plan for Israel. Israel is the focal point of numerous prophecies about the end times. Most Bible scholars consider the reformation of the nation of Israel to be the super sign that the last days are imminent. Joining me today on The Watchman on the Wall to talk about Israel and Bible prophecy is Dr. Ed Heinsen. Dr. Heinsen is the Bible teacher on the wonderful television program, The King is Coming. He is also the Dean Emeritus of the School of Divinity and Distinguished Professor of Religion at Liberty University in Virginia. Besides teaching thousands of students each week, he is an active conference speaker and very, very prolific writer. Dr. Heinsen has written over 40 books, including the one that we're going to focus on today, Target Israel. Dr. Heinsen, it's an honor to have you on the program with me today. Thank you very much. I've always loved talking about Israel. God said it was the apple of his eye, that he put his name there, and that he always had a special plan and purpose for the nation and people of Israel. Well, Dr. Heinsen, you're very well known in Bible prophecy circles. How did you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I actually grew up in a non-Christian home in Detroit, Michigan. I was saved in vacation Bible school. My mother saw a flyer advertising it and sent me there as a child. I went and heard that Jesus loved me, that he died for my sins, that he rose from the dead and could offer me the gift of eternal life and a home in heaven forever. And best of all, it was free. I recognized a good deal and (laughs) raised my hand and said yes. The lady that dealt with me, Mrs. Johnson, was very thorough and very careful in explaining the seriousness of that decision. And it was life-changing for me and then ultimately changed the whole trajectory of our family in the years to come. Well, would you mind sharing a little bit about your call to ministry? I sensed a call to ministry very early on. I would say by the time I was 10 to 12 years old, I felt like God was already putting it in my heart that he wanted me to preach and teach. I can remember as a teenager going to these large Youth for Christ rallies in Detroit, thousands of people, and thinking, I want to do that. Later in college, I actually worked on the staff with them and was a Bible club director in high schools around the Detroit area. After college, became a youth pastor, then a pastor. The whole time, I had a long educational career. I've got degrees coming out of my ears. My parents were uneducated eighth-grade dropouts, so I kind of overdid it. But the whole time, I was always actively involved in real ministry with real people, and I think that's a key so that you're not just studying the Bible intellectually, but you're applying its truths to the lives of real people on a regular basis. Amen. Well, a few years ago, before he passed away, you co-wrote the book Target Israel with Tim LaHaye. Tell me about Tim LaHaye and how you came to write this book together. I've known Tim for over 30 years. Good personal friends often gave each other advice about various things, and at one point, Tim and I and Gary Frazier 
did 75 prophecy conferences together in the early 2000s. We were traveling all over America dealing with issues related to what the Bible had to say about the present and about the future, etc. And in the process of that, all of us were very convinced Israel was the key to the last days, that end-time prophecies assume Israel will be back in the land in the last days. The fact that they're there gets my attention. Tim was very burdened about the fact that Israel was often in what he called the crosshairs of the end times under attack, both from theological critics, social, political, and religious adversaries of all kinds, especially in the Middle East. And so we wrote that book to explain who Israel is, why they're there, why it's important, and what God says about them in relation to the future. Chapter 3 of the book Target Israel is titled, The Miracle of Israel's Existence. And you write, From the start, the fact of Israel's existence can only be described as a miracle. A 99-year-old man named Abraham and his 90-year-old wife Sarah became the parents of Isaac, the child the Lord promised to build into a nation. Would you elaborate on the miraculous beginnings of Israel? I think it's interesting in Genesis that you have this seed promise from the beginning of Genesis. Adam and Eve fall into sin. God comes seeking them in the garden, not abandoning them, calling to them in the fallen place, Adam, where are you? And calls them to come to him so that he can deal with what they've done in disobedience, but also give them hope for redemption in the future. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he gives the first messianic prophecy of the Bible that ultimately the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That if somebody would enter the human race that would be given the power of God to defeat the power of Satan. Now God did not tell them who it would be, when it would be, but you're left with that promise in the early chapters of Genesis. And then the seed promise passes on through Noah's family, and then from there to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc. What's interesting in those early patriarchal stories in Genesis is they're all having a hard time getting pregnant. Sarah can't get pregnant. Rebecca can't get pregnant. Leah and Rachel are caught in a conflict of trying to win Jacob's favor, etc. But behind the scenes, God is definitely at work. And I think he deliberately allowed Abraham and Sarah to wait until their old age before he reversed the natural process. She had already gone through her change of life, the scripture says, and God reversed that and allowed her to get pregnant so that the Jewish race would be started by a miraculous birth. It took a divine miracle intervention of God to bring about the birth of Isaac through natural parents, but natural parents who'd gone beyond the age of bearing children. And then God would intervene again, ultimately, to help Rebecca conceive and continue to bless the promise of the seed, so that when the promise of the seed traced from the Old Testament goes into the New Testament, 
And Jesus is conceived of a virgin, miraculously. And you have the miracle of the virgin birth. There are always some who say, well, that's a biological impossibility. That can't happen. Surely that's not what occurred here. I've even had Jewish friends say to me, I think Jesus was a good man and a good teacher, but he surely couldn't have been the sinless son of God. That whole story of the virgin birth is just beyond imagination. My response to that is, wait a minute, if you're Jewish, the whole Jewish race is beyond imagination. It started with a miracle birth with Isaac, and it culminates with a miracle birth with Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, that God was deliberately orchestrating a process that he was going to bring to fulfillment, and that in Christ, he's the seed who's the sinless one who goes to the cross, dies for our sin, triumphs over the power of Satan, and ultimately crushes the head of the serpent. Dr. Heinsohn, after 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed and the people were scattered, there came a regathering in 1948, the return of the Jewish people to the Promised Land. Now, the Bible indicates that the regathering of Israel will occur in stages. Would you explain the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37 and how that prophecy is being fulfilled in stages now? In that prophecy, the prophet Ezekiel looks down into the distant future. And he sees Israel as a nation of, in essence, dead bodies, skeletons strewn out across the desert. That The passage clearly says uh, these bones are the whole house of Israel. People, again, misunderstand that all the time. I've heard well-meaning people talk about revival in the church and we need to stir up the dry bones again, but that's not what that passage is talking about. Uh, it's talking about Israel being regathered back to the promised land in the last days. And the prophecy goes on to say that the Spirit of God moved and the bones began to come together. And you have that famous passage about the hip bone, knee bone, ankle bone, etc. All the bones come together and form these skeletons. Then flesh and muscle grows on them, but they're still not animated by life until the Spirit of God blows on them and they come to life. So the implication, I think, very clearly in that passage is God would one day regather the people of Israel back to the Promised Land in unbelief. They'd go back physically, and they have. And that ultimately that would set the stage for a national conversion that would come in the future when all Israel would be saved and put their faith in Yeshua HaMashiach as the Messiah. What we're saying today is that virtually half the Jewish people in the entire world now live in the nation of Israel. That's incredible in and of itself. At the beginning of the 20th century, there was only a handful of Jews in Israel. And as time went on, God brought more and more back to the land put it in their heart to return to the land, and then the events of World War I and World War II propelled them in that direction. Today, Israel is one of the most prosperous nations on the planet, yet a nation that is constantly under threat, under attack, caught in the crosshairs of the end times. All of this is what we should have anticipated based on Ezekiel's prophecy. 
the final invasion that Ezekiel predicts will come from the north, presumably Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, etc., from north, south, east, west, every direction, that has never happened. That is yet to happen in the future. And as the nations keep lining up more and more in that direction with hostility toward Israel, again, that ought to get our attention. The clock is ticking. Time is moving on toward that final event. It seems that America's relationship with Israel has cooled a little bit. In the last defense bill, there was an attempt to pull funding for the Iron Dome missile defense system. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge for several reasons. One, I think you have in the more liberal political wing of American politics an anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish attitude that is continuing to grow. Now that we have Muslims elected to Congress who can give voice to criticism to Israel, like Tlaib, you have these voices speaking out, denouncing Israel, yet not being willing to denounce atrocities that are perpetrated by the Palestinians themselves. So you have a mixed bag of political interest going on there. On the other side of it, I think theologically, in the day and age in which people's theology is driven by their cell phone more than by the Bible, they're exposed to views of prophecy and eschatology that most evangelical Christians were not exposed to before. And in a lot of reform circles, the view is that God does not have a plan for Israel per se as a national people, that the church has replaced Israel in the plan of God, and in fact, many teach the church is the new Israel, and that the promise of the blessings to Israel now go to the church. Well, when you have people teaching that, believing that, then you're not going to come to the defense of national Israel at all. Then in some cases, you have voices stating that in pastors' conferences and theological conferences, and even pastors who believe Israel should be defended, often feel squelched and quieted and do not speak out in their defense. And as a result, as America's Christian public becomes more and more theologically and biblically illiterate, they move further and further away from a clear understanding of what is God's purpose for Israel in relation to his purpose for the church. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. What will happen to Israel after the rapture of the church? Won't they be the focus of the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation? I believe they will. While there is a growing remnant of born-again Messianic believers in Israel, I've had the privilege of preaching in many of their assemblies over there, people that are very much Jewish by nationality, but very much Christian by theology, and very committed to Jesus as their personal Savior, they're still a minority. The vast majority are still either in unbelief of rejecting Christ as the Messiah or, in many cases, simply just neglecting Him as Messiah. And if the rapture were to occur anytime soon and church believers are caught away, I think there's enough leadership in Israel that would be left behind that realize the rapture's occurred. They know the Bible the guides, the scholars, the archaeologists, and some of the rabbis know enough of the New Testament to know what it teaches, even if they do not believe it. 
And if they were to see that, I think that's going to be the super shocker that God will use to get Israel's attention and bring them to national conversion. I also believe that that's, according to the book of Revelation, the time during which, after the rapture, during the time of tribulation or Jacob's trouble, God will raise up the two witnesses, who are two Jewish leaders that are proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, telling their own people we've been left behind, we need to come to faith in Christ right now, and thousands then will be converted. God will use them to spread the message of the gospel during the time of tribulation in spite of the judgments that are falling at that time. Dr. Heinsohn, what's your next project that you have coming out? Well, I have a brand new book out right now called Future Glory, and it's all the good news about Bible prophecy. Seven things that God promises prophetically for every believer's future. Seven things that if you know the Lord is your Savior, you're going to experience. The rapture, the trip to the Father's house, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage of the Lamb, the triumphal return with Christ, the millennial reign, and the eternal city etc. And we spell that all out in detail. The book has already sold out the first printing and has gone to reprint and is doing very, very well. It's called Future Glory. And then in the meantime, I've been working for a whole year on a brand new study Bible with conservative notes, with the proper identification of Israel as Israel, not Palestine. That'll be released next year. We've just finished the work on it, and it's all starting to be laid out in go to press even now. Well, we'll get a copy of Future Glory here, and we hope that you'll come back on the Watchman on the Wall to talk with us about it. Thanks again for joining me again today, Dr. Hunts. It's an honor to have you on the program. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, gentlemen. Get Ed Heinsen and Tim LaHaye's book, Target Israel, for a gift of $15 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. Larry Spargimino and James Collins are here now to look at the breaking news from around the world in light of Scripture. Headlines from the End Times. In the days of the Old Testament prophets, God said to appoint a man to stand guard on the wall. The watchman would scan the horizon for signs of danger. When an enemy was spotted making advances on the city, the watchman would sound an alarm. Each day we see more and more signs that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we here on the Watchman on the Wall seek to make sense of the nonsense and sound the alarm of the truth of Bible prophecy in current events. Our first story comes from Portland, Oregon, where a high school English teacher called the American flag a representation of violence and menace and intolerance and had the flag removed from her classroom. Gail Groby, an English teacher at Newburgh High School, said her school has banned overtly political imagery on campus, including Black Lives Matter and gay pride symbols, so she believes the ban should extend to the American flag. Groby said, I took the American flag down in my classroom because seeing the American flag is terrifying. She went on to say, that symbol doesn't stand for freedom or justice or equality anymore. It stands for violence and menace and intolerance, and I will not fly that in my room. 
While Groby may have the right not to fly old glory at her home, her decision to remove it from the public school classroom where she is privileged to teach is another matter altogether. Perhaps it is time that Groby remembers who she is teaching, as well as the nation she is representing. Since she removed the American flag, perhaps it's time to remove that teacher. You can contact the school district's main office, 503-554-5000. That's 503-554-5000. Let Superintendent Joe Morlock know what you think about our flag and the teachers who choose to dishonor it. Our next story is related to our previous story and comes to us from the small town of Silverton, Colorado. The mayor of Silverton, Shane Furman, has banned City Board of Trustees and all residents from reciting the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States flag at public board meetings. Mayor Furman said he banned the Pledge of Allegiance because it is, quote, divisive, close quote. When a citizen of the small mountain town of fewer than 600 residents said that she wanted to recite the pledge anyway, Mayor Furman rebuked the resident and said that he had the power to cancel the meeting. It is difficult for me to put into words what kind of an anti-American disgrace this mayor is. I would like to encourage Mayor Furman to resign and purchase a one-way ticket to Communist China where he won't have to ever worry about hearing the pledge. We stay in the state of Colorado for our next news story where a trial has been set for cake artist Jack Phillips. Phillips is back in court for refusing to make a gender transition cake. Phillips, a strong Christian who operates Masterpiece Cake Shop, has been sued multiple times by LGBTQ activists. Jack Phillips is not the only baker in the state of Colorado, but because he is a Christian, he seems to be the only one who was ever taken to court on this issue. You never hear of a Muslim baker being sued for refusing to make a same-sex wedding cake. Do you think he's being singled out because he's a Christian? In other news from the front line of the culture war, the prominent fast food company Burger King recently donated $250,000 to an LGBTQ group while mocking the Christian beliefs of a competing fast food company, Chick-fil-A. Burger King donated $250,000 in proceeds from June sales of their chicken sandwich, the Chuking, to LGBTQ groups. A company spokesman said during LGBTQ Pride Month, even on Sundays, your chicken sandwich craving can do good. Everyone knows the reference to Sunday is a swipe at Chick-fil-A because they're not open on Sunday because they want their employees to be able to attend church services. Several years ago, the LGBTQ movement boycotted Chick-fil-A because their founder said that he supported the biblical definition of marriage. Well, I think turnabout is fair play. I think every Christian listening to me today should boycott Burger King. Burger King has made it clear that it mocks Christians and they don't want our business. In a related story, comic book publisher DC Comics recently revealed that the character of Robin is a bisexual. Robin, who is the sidekick of the superhero Batman, came out in Batman Urban Legends issue number six, making him the latest well-established fictional character to become associated with the LGBTQ community. This is ridiculous. If DC Comics wanted a bisexual character, they could have created a new one. It seems strange to me 
that they changed the sexuality of Robin, who has been around for decades and is very popular with young kids. This is just another example of woke liberals pushing their perverse values onto children. In other news, a new report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows that drug overdose deaths have skyrocketed in the COVID era. Data from the CDC shows that drug overdose deaths have increased almost 30% during the pandemic. The report stated that more than 87,000 Americans died from drug overdoses. The CDC believes that the actual number of overdose deaths were much higher than reported. The largest increases in drug overdose deaths happened in April and May of 2020 when government-mandated lockdowns were the strictest. This is a tragic story that reveals some things if you read between the lines. For example, the report said that the CDC believes that the actual number of drug overdose cases were much higher than reported. The report does not give a reason. The CDC believes that. But I wonder if it is because many of the drug overdose deaths were reported as COVID deaths. We end this edition of Headlines from the End Times with a story that shows Bible prophecy is truly being fulfilled before our eyes. The Vatican recently announced that a One World Religion headquarters is set to open in 2022. The headquarters will be called the Abrahamic Family House, and it is being built on an island in the Middle Eastern city of Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. The headquarters is being built in collaboration with Pope Francis and Sunni Muslim leader Sheikh Amin Al-Tayeb after they both signed a global peace covenant called the Document of Human Fraternity for World Peace. The One World Religion headquarters will have three buildings, one building each representing a mosque, a church, and a synagogue. The stated purpose of the Abrahamic Family House is to bring understanding and tolerance among the faiths. But there are a couple of problems. First, Abu Dhabi is a part of the UAE where it is illegal for Christians to proselytize and conversion from Islam is prohibited. Second, the church building is not permitted to have a cross on the building as a method of identifying it as it is illegal to display a Christian cross on a building in the UAE. Third, teaching that Jesus is the only God is considered an act of insulting Allah or the Prophet Muhammad in the UAE, and offenders can be subject to imprisonment for five or more years, fined up to $545,000, and Christians may be deported. So if the idea of the One World Religion headquarters is to bring tolerance and understanding, then why build it in a Muslim country where conversion is illegal, and why do it together with a Muslim cleric who teaches that Muslim apostates should be killed. Isn't that the opposite of tolerance and understanding? Most Christians understand the term one world religion to refer to the merging of all religions, including Christianity, into a single global religion. This is a step in that direction. We know that the one world religion is directly linked to the last days when the Antichrist will establish a one world religion which will be associated with a one world government and lead to the mark of the beast. The stage is being set for the rise of Antichrist. Can the rapture of the church be far behind? Well, that will wrap things up for this edition of Headlines from the End Times. For Dr. Larry Spargimino, this is James Collins leaving you with the words of the Apostle Paul 
who said in Ephesians 5:15 and 16, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Check out swrc.com for prophecy books and DVDs, hundreds of Bible-based resources, swrc.com. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.